So we're going to talk today about God's steadfast love, and we're going to talk today about Jesus demonstrating God's steadfast love. And so uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John 3.16. We all know this verse, right? Uh, if you grew up in church, you've memorized this verse, and some of you have memorized it in the King James, some of you have really memorized it in the NIV, some ESV, right? But you know. And, and it says essentially the same thing in all those different translations, right? Let's actually read this together as a church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love. God's steadfast love. There it is on brown and white. His love for us. Think about that. And what's the key? Belief. Believe. Believe in what God has done in his birth in his death, and in his resurrection. Christian, oh, not sorry, not Christian. It, Christmas is the perfect time of year to remember, remember the culmination of God's love in Jesus' birth, his death, and in the resurrection. Yet walking in the reality of this love is difficult for us at any time. And I think it's difficult for us in the holiday times as well. We all have so much competing for our attention, right? There's a lot competing for our attention, whether it be friends, family, right? Work, having this joyful Christmas spirit, right? So many thoughts swirling in our heads, and yet meditating on Scripture is a great way to walk in the love that God has demonstrated to us in Jesus. Being in the Word. Not just reading the Word for reading the Word's sake, but reading the Word to connect and to touch base with your Heavenly Father. Psalms 103 is a good psalm for orientating ourselves to walk in the reality of God's steadfast love. Do you know that God's steadfast love touches every aspect of your life? It does. It touches every aspect of your life. Because God is involved in every aspect of your life. He is. But you know what happens to me a lot of the time? I go around acting like he doesn't touch any of my life. Or only wanting him to touch certain sections of my life. Right? But God's love has reached into every corner of our lives. And we are called to walk in that reality. Because that is reality. From Psalm 103, I'm going to start in verse 1. 
It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all, all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. There's mornings when I get up that I have to talk to myself. And in fact, let's be honest, every morning and every day we talk to ourselves, don't we? We have an inner dialogue like David with himself. And, and, and in, in psychology terms, it's known as self-talk, okay? Self-talk. And we all do this. Now, the content of our self-talk actually determines lots of things in our lives. And so I want to draw your attention to your self-talk this morning. I want you to do some reflecting as we're talking. And I want you to do some identifying of how your self-talk is, what the content of it is. And I want you to ask yourself, am I intentional in crafting my self-talk? Am I intentional in directing it in good ways, in healthy ways? So have you ever thought about your internal, internal dialogue? Have you ever paid attention to it? You know, I grew up most of my life not paying any attention to this dialogue at all, right? I, I, it was there, right? But I never really just paid it any mind, right? I tend to deal very much with externals. That's my, that's my default. And when I begin to pay attention to this inner dialogue, it's when I begin to change and shape when God began to change and shape and mold things in me. So we all have an inner dialogue. Each of us are having some conversations with ourselves right now in this service. I'm prompting it a little bit, but you were having it before I even started. You probably had one before you going to sleep last night. And when you woke up this morning, when you were getting ready for church, you all had an inner dialogue. And sometimes the inner dialogue before church is something like this. Uh, uh, and when I used to drive to church, it'd be something like that. Uh, if your husband, maybe it's like, oh, I can't believe she's not here tonight. When is she? Uh, she? Why does she have a million and one things to get together? Oh, my word. I was ready in two minutes. Why is it taking her a half hour? Oh, my word. She's been in the shower. Right? This is an internal dialogue. You haven't spoken this. Right? And then what happens when they get in the car? You're aggravated, aren't you? And you're doing everything to bite your tongue off because you don't want to say all the things that you've been conversing with yourself about. Right? Yes. I know because I've been there. And my wife will testify that I say things 
especially about being late, that are not good, that don't bring cohesiveness to coming into church on Sunday morning as a unified family, right? Been there? Done that. Got that t-shirt, want to born it, okay? Some of us pay very close or very little attention to it. We're unaware. We're not paying attention. We're, We're having them, but we're not paying attention to them. Right? Some of us, and this is where we should be for the most of us, but we're aware of it and we're intentionally crafting it. We intentionally shape it. We take it captive and we direct it to edify. We direct it to bring grace into our lives and then therefore grace into the lives of those around us. And then some of us obsess over it. We freak out about it. We, we take these thoughts and we atti- assign them power that they do not have. They're just thoughts. Right? And then we get consumed by it. And what should we be? Not being consumed, not ignoring, but we should be intentionally crafting these thoughts to bring glory and honor to God, to engage in the reality of God's love touching my life in my present, in my past, and in my future. Now, we all exist in these categories at some point or another. But in which of these categories do you find yourself the majority of the time? I want you to identify that. Because this is going to be a growth point for you. If you find yourself paying very little attention, then I would encourage you to pay attention and start crafting. If you find yourself paying attention and crafting, then keep up the good work. And maybe just be a little bit more intentional. If you find yourself obsessing and giving these thoughts power that they do not deserve, then be more intentional in crafting these thoughts to bring glory to God, to walk in his steadfast love. This is an exercise for all of us. It's a discipline, and it's a spiritual discipline, and it's very scriptural. Bless the Lord, he says, O my soul. He's talking to himself. Or he says in another place, why are you distressed, my soul? Right? Remember God. Forget not his benefits. So in the book, Healing Grace for Hoarding People, Reich and Rinsky write, we all carry on conversations with ourselves daily. We call it self-talk. But are you aware of the importance and the impact of Self-talk. We're going to unpack that a little bit today, the importance of being intentional in your self-talk. Self-talk initiates and intensifies our emotions. Self-talk initiates and intensifies our emotions. You wake up in the morning. Maybe you already have a funk going on, right? You're told to go back to bed, right? But then your self-talk is going to intensify 
those emotions. Or it's going to diffuse them. That makes sense? And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's hard. But it is something that God has given us. Self-talk directs the way in which we behave toward others. Self-talk determines what we say to others. Quite a ways, a while ago, I was a merchant marine. I, I worked in the engine department on a ship. My, one of my jobs was to uh, chip paint and rust and repaint. Now, the paint locker was the bosun's locker. And the bosun is not my boss. I work in the engine department. The bosun is the boss of the deck department. And the bosun's locker, the paint locker, he was fastidious in keeping it clean. And I, and I didn't blame him for that. But I would commonly get blamed for the mess in the bosun's locker. Yeah. Nobody likes to get blamed for something they didn't do. Right? Now, I'm not justifying my actions. But I'm going to illustrate to you self-talk. Now, my boss, the chief, put me out the day before for the mess in the bosun's locker. Because the bosun went to the chief and complained to the chief that the wiper, that's what my title was, what a wonderful wiper title, but that the wiper was leaving a mess in the paint locker. Now, I wasn't leaving a mess in the paint locker, right? But I got my, my sailor words are coming out, and that's not good. I got chewed out that morning by my chief, and my chief was not a nice guy. You know, he'd look for any reason to yell at me, okay? So I have an internal dialogue going on. What do you think? right right and i'm in the bosun's locker getting ready the next day i'm in the bosun's locker getting my supplies ready to go paint the bilge bilge is not a fun place to paint it's not a fun job to do and i'm getting ready and guess who shows up at the bosun's locker while i'm getting ready the bosun now i've had this internal dialogue going on since yesterday I almost got fired that day. Why? Because my internal dialogue with the boat came all out on the bosun. And I was not a testimony, and I was not a good witness, and I cussed that guy out. Now, it hasn't been that bad in a long time, praise the Lord. But it did make me aware of my internal dialogue shaping and forming what I do to others and how I speak to others. I almost lost my job that day. I ended up in the captain's <laughs> office. <laughs> right? And it was all because my internal dialogue. You guys all know this. I, I'm sure right now you've got different situations, whether it be with your kids, with your siblings, with your spouse, with a co-worker, right? And you see how it builds, right? Because self-talk can keep us stuck in our past and sabotage our future. The 
dialogue that we have with ourselves. It is the lens, really, that forms how we view the world. So I encourage you this morning to become aware of your self-talk and to craft it intentionally. Be like David, who commands his soul, commands his soul to praise God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Self-talk is the message you tell yourself about yourself, others, your experiences, the past, the future, or God. This is the reality. If you really want to know what you believe, pay attention to your self-talk. And it will reveal what you believe. Now, you can correct self-talk and therefore correct belief. David, in Psalm 103, models for us self-talk that brings us in line with God's love for us in this busy season. He models it. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. In verse 1, he instructs his soul to bless God, to praise God. He instructs it, bless the Lord. This Hebrew word comes from the root to kneel, to make kneel. Interesting, huh? We don't necessarily, when we hear the word praise, think about kneeling, right? But kneeling, I'm going to kneel over here because there's a screen right here. Kneeling, right, is a way of showing submission, vulnerability. If I'm knelt down here, I'm pretty vulnerable, aren't I? Right? And I'm showing myself submitted to God. And here David is telling his thoughts to submit themselves to God, to control his thoughts. We have control of this inner dialogue. Now, I know many of us feel like a victim to our thoughts. In fact, we feel like they just come out of nowhere and they take us by surprise, right? Have I been there? I've been there. And part of the reason we feel like a victim to our thoughts is because we are disciplining ourselves to take our thoughts captive and to be obedient to them. You are not a victim. You are not a victim of your thoughts. Now, you can act and be like a victim to your thoughts, and in that sense, you are a victim. Does that make sense? But you're only a victim because you're acting like a victim. You're letting yourself be a victim. You have a vote. You have a voice, a choice. You can exercise thought prevention. You can also exercise thought. Oh, I forgot the double double quote there. You can exercise thought prevention, and the way you do that is through God's word. You see, the more we sift our thoughts through the word, the more God's grace can abound in our life. The more we shape our thoughts through the reality that God has made, that he sent his son, born of a virgin, crucified under Pontius Pilate, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day, the more we allow that to shape our reality, that in those acts he saved us and he's redeeming us. Every moment of our day, that is what's happening. And we allow that to shape our reality, then the more we walk into the abundant grace that he's given to us. For his mercies are new every morning. They're inexhaustible. 
Therefore, we must, through praise and worship of God, make our thoughts kneel before him, who is creator, holy and worthy of our submission to his worship. Do your thoughts kneel before the creator of God, or do they just run amok? Oftentimes, our thoughts just run amok, right? And people around us know that our thoughts are running amok because our thoughts shape and form our actions and our words. Now, I want to make an important note. Having bad thoughts is not the same as doing them, okay? But they're the precursor to doing bad things. So we must be active in controlling and taking our thoughts into the obedience of Christ. And this is a spiritual discipline. In the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to what? Obey Christ. It's the act of obedience to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we take, we destroy arguments and opinions. How often does your thoughts, your internal dialogue have an argument for the way you feel? Right? Oh, yeah. Right? Or a strong opinion. Right? Right? Well, we destroy these from inside by taking them and putting them under the grace of God, the work of God. Looking at them through that lens, the lens of God's word. And there is an external factor here because the enemy throws fiery darts, right? And sometimes fiery darts, they are thoughts, okay? And these thoughts aren't originating within you. Sometimes originating with the enemy. Does the tactic change? No, we still take it captive. So it doesn't really matter where the thought originates, right? It all has to be subjected, right, to God, to Christ. Kneel. Your thoughts need to kneel before the throne of grace. They need to be in submission to God. And we need to be aware of those thoughts and craft those thoughts, direct those thoughts to glorify God. In verse 2, he instructs his soul to forget not God's benefits. In other words, remember. Remember a calling back of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Right? Christmas is an excellent season to remember. And yet, we need to remember God's benefits every season, right? So what are the benefits of God we are to remember? The benefits of God are innumerable, <laughs> right? Count his blessings, name them one by one. Right? And, and there are so many, you can't really number them. But today we focus on the benefit of his steadfast love, hesed, 
expressed to us in Jesus' birth, death, and his resurrection. This is the ultimate outpouring of God's love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and it's not a, a love and a, a death that just saves us and leaves us. It's a, a love that saves us and walks through life with us in each problem, in each challenge, in each ailment. So let us join David in correcting our self-talk by remembering the benefits of God's love shown. God shows his steadfast love by forgiving all our iniquity. I love that word, all. He doesn't just forgive the bad ones or the worst ones. He doesn't just forgive the ones that are uh, mistakes. He forgives the willful as well. He forgives all our iniquity. He shows his steadfast love by healing all our diseases. He shows his steadfast love by redeeming our life from eternal death in hell. Redeeming our life from the abyss or the pit, it says in the the Hebrew. He shows his steadfast love by crowning us, crowning us with steadfast love and mercy. A crown upon our heads. A crown to shape our thoughts. It's on our head, right? Where our thoughts partake. And it's a crown of steadfast love. He shows his steadfast love by satisfying us with good good. Oh, we struggle with this so much because what we define as good isn't really good. It's selfish. But he chooses to satisfy us with good, and he is what is good. Psalm 103, 6 through 18 is the center, this of this psalm, it's a chiastic structure, and it says, Yahweh works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. So as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from Ancients did not see the, the earth as round in the cosmos. And so when you went east to west, they never met because it just went in a plane. The other thing is we orientate ourselves north. 
right? That's how we saw it. Never eat shredded wheat, right? North, east, south, west. In the ancient times, they oriented it east, forth. Interesting. As far as the as a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. Its place is no more. We are But the steadfast love of the Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Verse 16 through eight, 6 through 18 from a chiasm where David shows God's steadfast love by his actions through history. He reveals himself to Moses, right? He saves the people out of the land of Egypt, right? He, he sends his only son to be born of a virgin, to suffer on the Pontius Pilate, to die the death so that we might live. He shows his love by his actions through history to for, remove, to forgive our sins. Church, your sins are forgiven. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved and your sins are forgiven. He's removed our sin from us. Though we are creatures, dust, fading flowers. Oh, so often we are so full of self-importance, aren't we? So entitled, and yet we aren't that. <laughs> That's a deceit. But God loved us, even though we're dust, even though we're creatures. He sent his son to save us, to remove all our iniquities, past, present, and future. Every single one is removed by the blood of the cross, validated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that same resurrection that rose Jesus from the dead is working in you and me and is working to change us, to transform us, to help us correct, to help us shape our internal dialogue. Psalm 103, 19 through 22 says, Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, O you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of, the war, of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in the, all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Bless Yahweh, O oh my soul. God shows his steadfast love by his rule. 
And we can praise God in every situation because we know that God is working. We may not understand. We may not, definitely don't have his perspective. But we know that he is working. All should kneel and worship before the God who longs. May your thoughts kneel before the God who longs. May your life kneel before the God who longs. Song I sang in a choir as a kid. I'm not going to sing it. Last week I sang, so I'm not singing this week. But it goes like this. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through. Use it for your glory. As a pleasing sacrifice, Lord, I offer you my life. A place of submission, a place of surrender. We must surrender our eternal dialogue, our thoughts to God and intentionally craft them to abide, to walk in his steadfast love. We must tell ourselves, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This, is healthy self, this healthy self-talk does not happen unless we believe what God has done. For self-talk is based on our beliefs. Do you believe what Jesus has done? Will you believe in the steadfast love of God for you? Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his what, church? His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God in Jesus. This is our reality. This is what should shape our thoughts. Direct our thoughts. Sift our thoughts. Church, we have a choice to control our self-talk through the Spirit of God walking through submissive worship in our lives. We have a choice. We have to make that choice. If we don't make that choice, it doesn't unsave us, thank the Lord. <laughs> but it does make us miserable, doesn't it? So make the choice today to be aware of your self-talk and to craft it to bring glory to God, to craft it, to align it with the reality of what God has done, is doing, and will do. Church, may we join David this Christmas in saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits, which are expressed through his steadfast love in the person of Jesus. For in the fullness of time, Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered death on the cross, was buried and rose to life, being seated at the right hand of God. All this to demonstrate the love of God, 
These truths must shape and form the self-talk we engage in. Let us pray. Father God, we just come before you. And we confess that there are so many times when we do not take our thoughts captive. There are so many times when we have uh, in this internal dialogue with ourselves that does not glorify you. And we, we confess that. We lay that at the throne. And we choose today to bring our thoughts in submission to you, to use our internal dialogue, to meditate on your word and on your truths in that situation. And that you, Holy Spirit, are working the power to make that choice, and you're working to change and renew our minds. And we praise you and we thank you for that. And we, we go forth this week, this season, in your steadfast love and in the confidence of that. We thank you. In Jesus' name.